In Revelation chapter 3, to the angel of the church at Laodicea say, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit in my, with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Lord, we do ask as you always at this time that you speak clearly to us. We pray for the presence of your spirit to be felt powerfully at this time. Draw us more intimately into a relationship with you every day we pray. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Uh, Four-letter word, crossword, clue. Four-letter word ends a prayer. Amen. Okay. So most of us associate amen with the end of a prayer or, you know, it's time to eat, uh, something along those lines. Uh, Most of us also realize that that's not really what amen means. Amen means a whole lot more than that. It's a much richer idea. We come to the very last of the letters that Jesus sent to the church of Revelation. Uh, Today is number seven, the church of Laodicea. It's the last one, and we are following the same pattern in which we followed before. I think it's exegetically sound that we recognize that these letters are written not just to the particular church, but to the churches, and consequently also to the universal church, including Hebron. And so we have to say, to what extent are we being addressed by the letter that Jesus sends to Laodicea? Not only we ask the question, how are we being addressed by the letter to Laodicea, but we also have to identify that each of us individually are members of Christ's church, and therefore we as individuals are also spoken of in these letters. Now, we've talked about a lot of different things. If you've been with us during the past seven weeks, or if you go back and read these letters on your own, you will see that Jesus has in mind some very specific ideas. He is concerned about the love lost in our hearts as our hearts grow cold. He is concerned about a passion for truth and faithfulness. He's concerned that we go through things and strive hard through the difficult times that we have the perseverance to hold passionately to the truth that the Lord holds. He asks us, he begs us to understand the nature and the depth of his grace. And here we come to the very last letter. And this captures kind of what we're trying to do with the gospel or with the the book of Revelation as a whole. As you know, one of the things that I've been asking you to do is take this home and read chapters of it. We've been reading a chapter out loud each day in worship. Dave Mulock read for us chapter 20 a little bit earlier today. I encourage you to read 21 when you get home together, and that's for a particular reason. 
I really do think that the book of Revelation is to be experienced in so many different ways. That there's the imagery, the uh, concepts behind it, the nature of the language, all of that urges us to uh, understand a little bit, to grab a hold of the imagery that is put before us to experience the truth of the book of Revelation. So I want you to be reading that. If you haven't been doing that, it is still not too late. Go home and read out loud to yourself or to a friend, to a neighbor, chapter 21. You will truly, I believe, be blessed in part because the Lord promises that's the case. But the opening chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, I think fit very well into the idea that we study them. We seek and ask the question consistently, how is it that the Lord is directing these words, not simply to the church of Laodicea, but to the church at Hebron? Here's the last opportunity, the last letter, that Jesus has to kind of present himself and to present his case to the church. This is kind of a summary statement, to some extent, of everything that has been going on, and a summary statement as well of the way in which Jesus presents himself to us. You'll remember the format that is followed. It follows the book of uh, the, the letter to the Laodiceans as well. There's an introduction, it's an announcement to who the letter's written to, then there's an announcement, a description of who Jesus is as he is writing these words, then there's the encouragement, and then some criticism, and some counsel, and then a promise. You can see the way in which this works with this letter as well, by and large. And it begins with the address to the angel of the church of Laodicea, and then the last description of Jesus that we get. Now, in these other letters... In these uh, letters to the churches, Jesus has described himself in many different ways. And again, he's used mostly the imagery that was part of chapter 1. And what we see here are different aspects of Jesus being put forward by Jesus. Jesus says, remember, this is who I am as I tell you this story about yourself as a church. Remember, this is who I am. Well, here we come up with the exact same statement of Jesus saying, as you go from hearing all seven of these letters... As you think of yourselves as a church, I want you to go forth from here remembering this particular characteristic of me. This primary understanding of who Jesus is is the last piece that he wants us to go forward with as we think about ourselves as a body of believers, as Christians standing and worshiping together as a church of heaven. How is it that he wants to send us out? At the end of verse 14, he says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I'll just go backwards through this a little bit. Jesus says, here's the image that I want you to have as you read the rest of this letter, and then as you kind of wrap up all of these letters together, and you think about the nature of the church, you think about what Hebron is supposed to be, here's the last picture of myself that I want to leave you with. I am the beginning of God's creation. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? We often would associate that, I think, with eternality or length of times or how long God's been around or something like that. And that's partially what's mentioned here, partially what's implied. But I think primarily what Jesus is saying when he talks about being the beginning of all creation, he's not talking about how old he is. He's talking rather about the fact that everything you see around you, everything that is made, Every glorious thing, every beautiful and wonderful picture that God has created, Jesus was the instrument by which that came into existence. Jesus here is identifying, he's saying, look around you, realize that everything that is here 
is because of me. Jesus is orienting all of creation, not not just the physical universal world or something like that, but everything in all of creation, Jesus is centering around himself. He's saying, all of this is because of me. And then he says, I am faithful the true. I'm the faithful and true witness. Again, he's not simply saying here that he doesn't tell lies, or he's not simply here stressing the fact that he is uh, uh, faithful to his word, those kind of things. What he's doing is he's stressing the fact that he is dependable, that he is reliable. When Jesus says that I'm a faithful and true witness, he's capturing an imagery that's built up through the Old Testament of the value of a witness and the purpose of a witness, and he's saying, look, you can count on me. You can trust me. Everything around here is because of my hand, and you can trust in me. And then finally, he begins by saying, I am the amen. These are the words of the amen. Now here he doesn't mean these are the words that I'm, I'm the last thing you see or I'm the ending of all things or something like that. This captures that idea of amen. Uh, so be it, Lord. Make it so. The certainty, the assurance that in Jesus Christ all things are fulfilled. He is the great amen. Everything comes together in him. There is no promise that he makes. There is no gift that he gives. There is no thing that he witnesses to, testifies to, that he does not bring into completion in of himself. And so this very end of the last letter, summarizing all of the letters, Jesus starts by saying, look, you can count on me to fulfill my word. You can count on me to bring about that which I promise. You can rely upon me in all things. He says, now, before I start talking about the church, before I tell you what is ahead for you, before I give to you some insights into your life, know this, it will be fulfilled in me. I am the great amen. So Jesus starts this text before he moves into what he wants to say to the church of Laodicea, before he moves into what he wants to say to Hebron Church or to each one of you as individuals, he starts by saying, look, remember that everything will come together in my word. Everything will be brought into reality because of what I do and say. So what is it that Jesus says? Well, he starts out in verse 15 the same way that he does with the rest of the letters. He says, I know your works. Now, this is usually a precursor to him saying something positive about the church. Hey, I like what you've done. This is something positive. Here, Jesus uh, deviates from the pattern, as he does in one of the other letters, and he stresses not just what the church is good at, but rather he has something else in mind. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you be either cold or hot, but you are lukewarm. The guts of this letter is a fierce denunciation of spiritual complacency and a warm, tender appeal for a warm-hearted devotion. What Jesus does to the Laodiceans is he says to them, there is a complacency, a spiritual superficiality. There's a religiosity about you. There's a, 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 a lukewarm approach to the faith and I won't have it. Instead, I urge you 
to pursue a warm-hearted devotion, a passion, a, a desire for me. Jesus desires and he deserves our wholehearted approach, our passion for him. He draws on the imagery, I believe, of the, how the town itself, Laodicea, received its water. There were two main water sources in the vicinity in which Laodicea operated. One city was built around a hot springs. Uh, there were these healing powers, almost, of the hot springs that would bring medicinal healing to people. And so this, this city that was about 10 miles away from Laodicea was centered around this, these hot springs that, that brought great fame to the city because of its healing powers and because of everybody wanting this hot water. And indeed, the word in which is used here, the Greek word, is not just hot water, it's boiling water. That's kind of what Jesus is referencing here. He wants you to be boiling water. He wants to draw attention to this healing power of this hot water. And then in the other direction, uh, equally about 10 miles away, was another city, and it was built around the cool mountain spring waters that would refresh the people. And so you had this city, two cities equally far apart, one that had this medicinal healing hot water and one that had these cold waters, this refreshing cold water, and they flowed together, mixed outside of Laodicea, and by the time they came through Laodicea, guess what they were? Lukewarm. They were just lukewarm. And Jesus uses that imagery to highlight the great danger the great fallacy of living your Christian life in a superficial, complacent, indifferent, tepid, or a skin-deep manner. Jesus says, this is not who you are to be, lukewarm in my presence. I don't know if you've ever uh, been to some, invited over to somebody's home or at a potluck dinner or something like that, but somebody served me some soup at one point, and I was like, hey, I love soup. I love, you know, that hot boiling, not hot, but, uh, you know, the warm boiling uh, sense of soup as it goes down, and I'm a big soup fan, and they said, oh, this is blah, blah, blah soup. And I went, oh, I, you know, I don't know what blah, blah, blah soup is, but I like soup. And so I went ahead and grabbed it. Everybody know where I'm going with this one? Uh, it was cold soup. And man, when you're, expecting, when you're expecting to eat soup and you get instead this, you know, because I took a big spoonful of it and stuck the, the nice warm soup in my mouth and it was cold. Oh, it was everything I could do. I suspect that I was probably in some place public where I just couldn't let it drool out of my mouth. Well, that's what I really wanted to do. Because it was just horrific. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. When he says, I will spit you out of your mouth, the word there is spew or vomit or projectiles coming out. of. This is Jesus saying, I am nauseated by this indifferent complacency with which you are approaching your faith. I am nauseated by it and I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, I think it's impossible to read these words and not do some bit of self-reflection. How do I live my Christian life? Am I living it with a wholehearted devotion 
Am I pursuing the Lord with the passion that he truly deserves and desires from me? Is it reflective of the way that the Lord himself pursues me? Am I eagerly chasing after him the way that he chases after me? And I think we have to ask that about Hebron Church as a whole. We know there's some great things that are happening here. We know that there's some struggles that we have to deal with. Are we a lukewarm congregation in the way in which we pursue the Lord as a whole? Now, Jesus is speaking here to a church, Laodicea. And so we have to understand and appreciate that that's how he's speaking to us. How do you know if your devotion to the Lord is lukewarm? How would you be aware if you were less than passionate in your pursuit of the Lord? Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Someone who is complacent spiritually can't see the world the way it really is. They fool themselves into thinking that they're safe. They fool themselves into thinking everything is good. Not just is that not everything good, but everything's really positive. Laodicea happened to be a very wealthy city. It was one of those cities where uh, everybody benefited by the wealth that, would, that was centered in, in Laodicea through a number of different practices we don't need to go into. So it was materially wealthy. And the church here rested upon, they say, because we are material wealthy, it's clear that we must be spiritually wealthy as well. And so they think of themselves wealthy when they are not. And now, they just don't see reality. They don't see themselves as they truly are. They think that they are wealthy, that they are rich, they think that they are presentable before God. We can come before God. We can be presented before God. They think that they can see things the way they really are. And God says, but you're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You are a beggar in my sight. That's the reality, and they can't see it because of their spiritual lethargy. One time I was down in Peru. Sorry, I was in Nicaragua. Nicaragua, and we were... Uh, working, we, a bunch of us were constructing some things and building some things, and one of the work in which they wanted done was the, some latrines that were dug, so we were digging some latrines, and it was very incredibly hot, incredibly sweaty work and all this kind of stuff, and I was caked with dirt, and then we heard that the, uh, the uh, political forces in the area, the village mayor was coming to see what was going on, and village mayor, the political forces were kind of negative about us being there to begin with so and of course I was a pastor the leader of the trip I said well I got to do something and I'm literally just caked with mud and with hot and sweat towards the end of the day so I quick I grabbed a rag and I kind of cleaned my face up as much as I can and I said look I'm just caked here does somebody have a shirt or something that I can put on one of the uh, locals gave me a t-shirt and so I quick put the t-shirt on I tried to make myself as presentable as I could, and I kind of looked at myself afterward and thought, okay, this works, not realizing that the rag that I had used was just grease-covered, and I had smeared it all over my face, but I couldn't see, and I'm wearing a shirt, I don't speak Spanish, that said something very critical 
and very nasty about the local government. And here I am presenting myself before the mayor of the, of, of the village, trying to make a good impression, and everything was wrong because I could not see. The Lord says, in your spiritual complacency, in your spiritual lukewarmness, you can't see correctly. Now, it's okay for Jesus to accuse us of these things, to lay this charge against us, and to cause us to ask the question, where are we before the Lord? But listen to what he says afterwards. This is the counsel that he gives. This is the encouragement that he offers. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you, I don't know how you read this, and I encourage you to read it over and over again. This is a word that is very rarely used in the New Testament, so there's not a lot of uh, background that we can give to it. But I hear in Jesus' words here, I hear, hear an appeal, a yearning. This is not Jesus from afar saying, look, I counsel you to do these kind of things. This is Jesus coming alongside his beloved. And he says, look, this is what I urge you to do. There's a yearning here I hear in the Lord's voice as he speaks to this church that he dearly loves but has slipped into a, a, a skin-deep faith. And he looks at them and he yearns for them and he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and a salve so that you can see. I urge you, come to me. Come to Jesus, for that's where you will find real blessing. That's where gold refined by fire. This is where what, you are re what is really worthy, what is really worthwhile will be found. Come to Jesus. That's where we find the blessings that will forever last. This is the promise that Jesus is making, that you know he is the great amen, that he will be fulfilling all things for this. He says, come to me, you can find gold. Come to me for the white clothing that you need to be presentable before God. How are we presentable before God in heaven? By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ says, you come to me and I will clothe you in your righteousness. I will clothe you in the way that will make you really presentable before the Lord. Come to me and I will provide the salve for your eyes. I will provide the healing that you need so that you can see reality the way I see reality. The Lord is calling out and giving us these options and says, come to me for your healing. That's the solution. That's the response to those of us who so easily slip into a rote kind of devotional life with the Lord where we find ourselves all too often simply going through the motions. And the Lord calls for a passion, a fervor. Now, it's not a fervor that is separated from reflection. The Bible is beautiful in this. It, and it describes, look, it, a passion without reflection is nothing but a dangerous fanaticism. But reflection without passion is an impotent paralysis. And the Lord puts forward for us, says, how do you avoid, how, where do you develop, how does this great passion for the Lord come from? It doesn't come from deep within. It doesn't come from trying really hard. It doesn't come from your... It comes from coming to the Lord. Come to the Lord for gold that is refined by fire.
for clothing, white garments, so that you can stand in God's presence with eyes that you can see the world the way the Lord sees. If that is how the Lord dresses you, if that's how the Lord heals you, if that's how the Lord blesses you, then you will have this warm-hearted, deep, passionate devotion for the Lord that you cannot avoid. And that's what has to happen to you as an individual. That's what has to happen to Hebron Church. That's what Jesus is urging for the church at Laodicea. Look at the promise that he makes. This is the famous text. If anyone hears my voice, I, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Verse 20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What is the promise that Jesus is making? Fellowship with the Lord. That's a, you have an opportunity here to fellowship richly, deeply, intimately with the Lord. He is present. He is calling forth for us that warm-hearted devotion, that passion that leads us in his presence for every minute of every day. He wraps up the seven letters, these seven words to the churches, this universal picture of what the church is, and he says, here's how I want to wrap it up for you. Remember this, I make all things true. I will bring about the faithfulness, the truthfulness of every promise I have laid before you. And know this, that the spiritual, warm-hearted devotion that he deserves and that he desires from you is available to us when we come to him. For he was promised to us gold refined with fire, not material wealth, but spiritually the richness that only those who are truly poor can appreciate. The righteousness, clothing with righteousness, that only those of us who have no righteousness of our own can really appreciate. And eyes to see the world when we are so used to living in darkness. This is the promise that the Lord has before us so that we can capture the entire picture that the Lord has laid out for us in the book of, of Revelation consistently that he has identified for us that the Lord himself is con in control. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be encouraged. The Lord is in control. Be encouraged. The future is safe in his hands. And be encouraged that he has already won the victory for each and every one of us. Let's pray together. God in heaven, how grateful we are that you have provided us exactly what we need for our life, that it is by your grace and your goodness, not upon our own righteousness, not upon our own blessings, but only in leaning into and relying upon you do we experience the truth of the word that you lay before us here, that we have the opportunity for a warm-hearted, passionate devotion to you to flow into everything that we do. Lord, we pray that you would make that so more and more this day in our hearts and in all that we do, we ask. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.